This is Limit Up, a trading podcast presented by the performance coaches at Top Step. We discuss futures, forex, stocks, options, history, trading psychology. Basically, if you can trade it, we'll try our best to make sense of it. Now, on to the show. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Limit Up podcast, the audio arm <laughs> of Top Step. Dan, uh, I just got back from vacation. How are you doing? Uh, I am good. I'm relatively the same. I came back at the, the last day of last week and still trying to get back into the swing of things. How was your trip? Oh, it was great. Besides, I got uh, absolutely massacred by the sun. Uh, I am in full, I don't know if this is TMI for everyone, but I'm in full peel mode. <laughs> you do have that uh, fair skin. Yeah. Well, what happened was uh, we were, were on a boat somewhere. And I didn't realize there was a snorkeling component. So I thought I was just going to keep my shirt on. And then I had the very adult choice between wearing a shirt in the water and <laughs> days of pain. And I'm a vain man. So I took days of pain. So that's no one what had I am. sunscreen on that boat for you. Well, we did, but I didn't have time for it to set in. It was like we stopped at the place. We're like, we're snorkeling. I'm like, oh, quick, sunscreen in my back. But it was that eco sunscreen. It just washed off right away. Washed right it, off. Yeah. I'm sure it was worth it, though. Oh, yeah. Overall, great trip. Feeling great. Back in the swing. Uh, today, we're talking about how prop shops evaluate performance and kind of how you use that to guide the way you evaluate your own performance, but also to show the differences between a lot of the retail options and that. But first, a couple of shopkeeping notes. Not prop shop, our shop, which is also a prop shop. We'll get into that. <laughs> anyway, uh, check out the uh, Top Step Trader Persona quiz. It's a fun thing. I wrote some of the uh, descriptions on there. So Check it out. Find out what type of trader you are. And if you're one type of trader, I won't say which, uh, it means you're a terrible person, but you probably won't be. So. <laughs> well, at least he's honest. Yeah, I try to be. But first, we want to talk a little bit about levels, but I think we had to address, and I promised in my intro last week, that we would get into a little of the Bitcoin and crypto mayhem that happened while we were out of town, Dan. So uh, any initial thoughts on that? Well... Jack, I'll tell you, I took a step away for a few days. I didn't look at anything. And I swear I came back to this crypto mayhem. You know, it started a week and a half ago, two weeks ago with um, Elon Musk kind of dissing the Dogecoin a little bit during SNL. You saw that one take a little bit of a tumble. And then uh, China coming in and basically saying, nope, to crypto and Bitcoin just dumped yeah i mean it's creeping back it's creeping back some so uh first i'd be so after this uh, we're done recording this episode we're going to do an episode of the coach's playbook specifically on crypto so if you want our lengthy thoughts there but what i'm most watching out for is there seems to be I, i'd say if you're an investor in crypto you need to understand what it is you're getting into and so we'll go full uh, disclaimers here. I don't own any crypto of any kind. I'm fascinated by it. I'm not a hater or a true believer in it. I think the technology is interesting. I think that some of this has to do, A, obviously with the banning, but with Bitcoin specifically, I think 
I'd be worried or what would keep me from sleeping if I held a bunch of it is that it reminds me a little bit. I use the example of, say, a Netscape or AOL during the dot-com bubble where you have this incredibly novel, disruptive new technology. Then it was the internet. Now it is blockchain slash crypto. I'll just combine them for this, which is undoubtedly going to be big. And the people were right then too, it's going to be big. And I think that this will be big too. The mistake comes, there was a ton of money pumped into, they took the idea that the internet's going to be huge and then map that onto, well, that means Netscape or AOL is going to be huge, which meanwhile, the companies that eventually dominated the industry were just getting started. Google, Amazon, it'd be, you know, MySpace came years before Facebook, huge first mover advantage. They um, still obviously lost. So I guess my issue now, so Bitcoin is the first mover that gives them a huge advantage, but have they faced their Facebook, their Google yet? And what I'm worried about specifically is look into proof of work versus proof of stake or how some of the other coins work. And the reason now we're hearing about all this environmental concerns with Bitcoin, you don't have to be an environmentalist to not like where that is going because it speaks to a larger possible flaw that I think could eventually lead to what do they call it? The the flippening or whatever, if like Ethereum were to overtake uh, Bitcoin. So I'll let you talk first, Dan, and then I'll go into that for a minute. Yeah. Well, just to be clear, I, I've had some Ethereum for quite a few years, and I have bought a little Dogecoin just to get on the bandwagon a little bit there, not expecting much. But I figured, you know what? What's a few hundred bucks if this thing turns into you know a fifty thousand dollar coin? Hey, I'd be a happy camper. But you know, I think ultimately it really comes down to the. I think you use a great analogy talking about the dot com bubble, right? A- AOL, Netscape, we all got the discs in the mail you know, use this disc and connect to the internet and download that. And it was a great idea, but the industry evolves and people grow from it. And I think crypto is the exact same ways. I think Bitcoin, and I could be totally wrong, really is the industry leader at this time. Do I think it's always going to be that way? I don't know. I think you've got a huge advantage. The fact that the CME has brought that in as a tradable product. I think they want to do Ethereum though, too. I think Ethereum is coming. They're working on it. They already have it on their website. Uh, I was looking at that yesterday. So they're really opening this up. And the one thing I want people to be thinking about, you know, if you're going to start trading this, look at it as a commodity. You know, you trade soybeans, right? It doesn't mean you're a soybean farmer. doesn't mean you're going to be stockpiling your garage full of soybean. You're just looking at it for price action and looking to take advantage of the market. Be the middleman. I think the same principle needs to be applied to the Bitcoin stuff and all the cryptos. Be that middleman. Don't be a hoarder or a holder or a storage place for it. Be that middleman. Try and take advantage of some of the moves if you're going to get involved in it. And if you treat it like it's that commodity and not an actual asset that you're going to hold, I think that's going to lead to more opportunity with the idea of crypto. Because I do think blockchain is the future of where we're going. No doubt about that. It is an amazing piece of technology for money transfers, how it works long-term, that'll be the question. Um, I really don't see any governments jumping on the bandwagon of saying, all right, Bitcoin is our new currency. I just don't see that being the case. You owe it to yourself to 
even if you're a, a, we always preach diversification, but you owe it to yourself too. If you're a crypto bull or th this is true of any asset that you're like holding long-term, at least read the counter arguments. All right. At least be familiar with those things because I think there is so like the way Bitcoin works with proof of work basically is it's going to, it takes more and more energy to mine it while it's valuable. And there are questions as to how that will work in the long term. Because, for instance, and not even just like the environmental thing, it's that eventually there will come a date, I believe, and people email me if I'm wrong on this, but there will come a time at which there will be so little Bitcoin left and it'll be so hard to mine that counterintuitively people will just like drop out of it. And then that's when certain security features come into it. Right. Because Bitcoin operates on the fact that you need what, 51%? You, you need the, the buy in of the blockchain. Right. And that works while everyone's in good faith trying to mine. But there could be something that happens later if people drop out of the system on that. Versus some of these other coins operate completely differently with a proof of stake system, which doesn't give people incentive. It would ne someone who gained 51% would have zero incentive unless they just absolutely wanted to see the world burn. So it basically bases how much you can mine or get based on how much you already have. So it would mean you actually had to own 51% of the currency to do something like that. Anyway, just something to look into. I would be very careful getting in there. But as Dan said, be a middleman. There's ways to trade Bitcoin now. The micro Bitcoin futures have been super interesting, something we'd obviously love to add to the Top Step program at some point. But I guess... My takeaway is just be careful and do some counter research to whatever thesis you have. And I don't care if you're in Bitcoin, Ethereum, Dogecoin, whatever, Ripple. I can name it. There's like 900 other altcoins that are out there. One thing I will say, though, just for, you know, for people being cautious out there, one thing that I've recognized is I'm seeing a lot of people in the world that are not traders, that are not investors, that are posting all over Facebook buy Bitcoin, buy Dogecoin, buy it all. Let's let's go, let's go, let's go. And those are usually signals to me to back off. Well, you know why? And this is the architecture of a bubble in general. When it's going up, all those people, the true believers are there and have the capital to buy it while it's going up. So like the person that buys Bitcoin at 50,000, what I'm saying is those buyers might not be there if it corrects. Mm -hmm. Right. Because that person's already bought it for 50. If, if the rest of the market, besides the true believers, say, is only going to pay 20, well, then you got a long way to fall and there's not going to be a lot of liquidity getting out. Right. And it's limited quantity. And I think that's a key you have to be thinking about. Most commodities that we trade every year, more is coming out, more is continuing to be grown. There are more things coming, constantly more supply coming into the marketplace. That's not the case with cryptocurrencies, they're limited. There is a finite number. At some point, they're, we're going to stop having it. And then that's going to create more anxiety, more excitement, more action around the price of it. And that's where we want to really focus on being the trader, the middleman, the active money manager when using crypto. Well, speaking of being a trader, I thought for a topic today, we could talk about how prop shops evaluate performance because... There's a subjective component to evaluating your performance trading, and there's real metrics that 
firms and things like that use. And I think we encounter a lot with people in the top step program sometimes. I mean, Dan, you, you, you deal with it more. I think that there's sometimes a disconnect between people are often entirely results and I think think less of the probability of how they arrived at those results, which is something that's probably that wouldn't fly if you want to think about risk management from a professional standpoint. So I don't know if you have anything initial to say. Well, yeah, first off, you know, I think, you know, top step, we talk a lot metrics, right? We talk a lot targets and goals and, you know, making certain amount of money and doing it in specific ways. You get to the prop firm, you know, obviously, if you've got a history of trading, they're going to look at your history, right? That's the first thing we're going to look at. But it's not so much about how much money you've made. It's how you've made it. And that's the bigger question. And there's a lot more that goes into getting hired at a prop firm versus, you know, in these retail, this retail world of like funding traders, there's a lot more detail that's involved from, you know, one of the questions that was always asked at my prop firm was, um, okay, and you have X amount of money and you go from this point to this point, how can you do that? And you have to think critically and fast, right? Because when you're managing a position, you don't have time to think all the options, you've got to be quick and you've got to find a way to make that money because we know. Could you clarify a little bit when you say where to where, what do you Right. So like one prime example is like, you've got a hundred bucks. You need to go from Chicago to Dallas. How are you getting there? You don't have a car and think critically. Like, are you going to just try and find a a plane ticket for a hundred bucks? Are you going to try and catch a bus? Are you going to, you know, throw the thumb up and hitchhike down the road? How are you going to do it? Okay. I'll walk you through how I would think about that. You got to get there. So is there a time limit? Mm -mm. You need to get there as quickly as possible. Simple as that. So I'll go go through how I evaluate risk. What is the upside of getting there and what is the downside of getting back? Or what is the downside of not going? Say I don't go. Is it just that I don't get this job or? There you go. You don't get the job. If you say I'm not going to Dallas, then I'm going to say, well, (laughs) then shit out of luck. So I would say something like there's a lot of ways. Then you start thinking like, well, am I comfortable? How much risk am I comfortable taking on? Because I might not be able to find a flight for a hundred bucks, but I can find a flight for 200 bucks probably. So uh, maybe I just go and uh, figure out a way to turn a hundred into 200, bet it on black. If it's a risk that I really don't want on the other side, like if I want to get there quick, and I know I got to get there quick or else I'm going to take more risk to get there quick. That would be kind of how I would think initially about that. I think that's usually typically one of the big things that they were always looking at was you have probably not enough money to just hop on, you know, Priceline and find a cheap flight. How are you going to make it? You can't take extra risk, right? You only have a hundred dollars. How do you turn that hundred dollars into enough to buy that plane ticket? I got it. I uh, drive Uber and then I you just don't have take- a car. Remember? Oh yeah, but I could just uh, I could just work for some like I bet I could call someone up and just I I'll have to think about this one through when I'm not doing this. And, well, and that's that was always that's the big thing that they you know was always what was being looked at was just how quickly can you think because where I came from my world was you know not the cut and dry outright futures trading you know it was options spreads and there were a lot of different ways to skin the cat and make some money and you've got to be quick to figure that out so you put on a position. And the market starts to move against you, right? But you, you're hedged. So you have two different ways of making that money. Well, you know what? I'm losing on the options. How do I make money on the future side of this or vice versa? And that was the whole point of this was how quickly can you think through 
options to get to something. Yeah. Payday loans, all sorts of things. So now you got me thinking. Yeah. Right. Do you do a short-term loan and say, all right, if I get to Dallas, I know there's an opportunity to make money. Do I take a short-term loan? Well, that kind of increases the risk, but do I, do I find a friend and borrow his car for a week to make a hundred bucks on Uber? Yeah. So I love that question. And I just love the way that that sums up everything, because I feel like sometimes when we see people that just pass objective measurements, they say, Hey, I just made this much money. But then you think about like, it's the equivalent. So their why for that Dallas question, they might be doing the trading equivalent of like going and trying to rob a bank and getting enough money to fly the plane. It's like, did it work? Sure. But the downside of that strategy is really, really bad. Right. It goes into the combine too of the concept, okay, I made my profit target, but okay, how much was the risk overall getting through step one and step two of the combine? How much risk did you take? How many times did you, you know, hit that trailing max shot on or hit your daily loss limit? How much did you have to work to get through that? And how much risk were you taking? And those are factors that from the prop firms that you, you are looked at right? A guy comes mm -hmm. in and says, I made a million dollars last year. Cool. Would love to have a million dollar trader at the firm, but what kind of risk were you taking to get to that? Were you risking 250 grand a day? You know, yeah. were you taking swings where you're down a million, up a million, you're down 500, up 500. Were you taking that kind of swing? Then the firm is looking at it and going, you're taking a lot more risk just because you're making a shit ton of money you're taking a lot of risk and I don't want that on my accounts. Ultimately, every prop shop in the world is going to measure you on one thing, which is how efficiently you use their capital. And there's a lot, there's variables that go into that. As Dan mentioned, it's the size you trade is the one to think about, but it's also the volatility of the products you trade and basically how much those two things together affect how much margin or how much money they're going to have to put down to do it. So I would much rather have someone that could, you know, make me 10 grand using 10 grand than somebody that can make me 50 grand, but used a hundred, right? It's just, it's just simple math like that. Right. So the prop firms look at you as an investment and they're going to invest X amount of money. Let's just say it's 250 grand to get you going and into the markets. They are looking at it. And I don't think any firm is expecting that if I'm going to back you with 250, you're going to show up the first year and say, here's 250 grand, right? I don't think that's a realistic thought right away. Yeah. They expect you to start slow. You know, if you can turn that 250 into 100 or 150, that's, you know, realistic for them. They're not looking for a 100% return on the year. They're looking at you as, okay, I need you to continue to grow this account so I can continue to take my cuts. And everyone's different on how the cut the system works and how you're getting paid. But you got to think about that. You're an investment. You know, they're not looking at you and saying, here's money, go trade it and whatever happens, happens. They're going to shut you down. They're going to get in into your systems. They're going to be making sure you're following those strict guidelines. And the second you deviate from what you're supposed to be doing and you take a little bit too much risk, maybe the first time it's going to be a crack upside the back of the head. It's not a little slap on the wrist. It's a, it's a good little crack. They're going to let you know you screwed up. Yeah. And they may lock you out for a week and say, no, you're not in the live market right now. Slow back down. Go paper trade for a bit. I don't like what you're doing. 
they'll re-enable you. You'll get back in. And the second time you do it, you know, it's two strikes, you're out and they're not taking that risk because at the end of the day, they're investing in you to trade in a way that you can both be profitable. And I think that's the same principle we take here at Top Step. We're looking at these traders that get funded. It's an investment in the sense that we both need to be profitable for this to be a successful venture. Yeah. Well, the the stick that trading firms have that doesn't exist as much in a funding program is that if you want to trade bigger, you're going to have to keep your own capital and reserves, right? That's So the more, as you work at a prop shop, they'll start you out small, but as you make more and more money, you'll hold more of it with the firm. That's your money if you were to leave or do something else, but that is there to protect the firm from a moral hazard, right? Mm-hmm. As we have seen what goes wrong in countless ways, that if... I have a system at a trading firm where I have no skin in the game and they're letting me trade bigger and bigger. It gives me sort of perverse incentives. I mean that in the uh, economic sense, not the uh, pervert (laughs) sense. There's a term for, and I'm drawing a blank on the term that they put a clause in everyone's contract when you're at the firm, how much money you can even pull and use and take for yourself. Like you get to choose, you know, kind of your withdrawal systems a lot of times at the prop firms. And there's usually a clause in there that says, if you're trading this, you need to maintain X amount in this account. As if you want more, you have to leave more in that account to continue to trade more. So there are all sorts of clauses involved in it. You don't really have access to the capital that they're financially backing you with. You only have access to the money you've made, but then a lot of stipulations on how money comes out. Yeah. And I think that they're really concerned too about the, so, so, so prop shops usually have pretty complicated risk management software and things like that, because it's obviously the most important thing that any fund or prop shop or even yourself should be doing is managing risk, right? But I think it goes into a lot of things that we've said, plus things like the variability of your returns. So we talk about the concept of it's more for investments, but if you look into the sharp ratio, that's a way to talk about your average returns accounting for the volatility of those returns, right? So those are things that professionals think about when they're choosing ways to efficiently use their capital. And so I guess what we're saying with this is that there's no reason you can't do the same, right? Mm-hmm. I, I absolutely agree. I think a lot of times, you know, take what we've talked about here and some of the concepts we've talked about how, you know, the big time institutional prop firms do the hiring and what they're looking at. And if you can apply that to, you know, your strategies and your systems and how you're going about it, I think that helps you long-term being successful in this, you know, trading is not, uh, there is the fast reward as you get more into it. And as you build bigger, you see bigger reward, but then you're reinvesting that reward. You know, you don't want to come in and, you know, you make that a few grand in the first week you come in, you make three grand right away. All of a sudden you're up three grand. That's a lot of money short term, but we don't want to be pulling that out all of a sudden and saying, okay, I'm going to take my money and go, you know, how do you grow that? How do you continue to build on that? Well, if you made three grand right away, personally, I'd sit here and say, it's still not ready for pulling anything out. You got to get that thing to 
10, 15 grand before you want to start thinking, okay, now I can pay myself a little bit. You know, if you get expenses, okay, take 500 bucks out, but continue to make sure you're leaving a lot of room in there, just like you would if you're at a prop firm. You do have that, like I mentioned, those clauses in, in your contract that say you have to have X amount in your, your account if you want to trade. You know, I look at it fi- anywhere from five to 10 grand is what you need to be trading just a standard one lot at the minimum. So, when you are starting out and you're building that account, don't really start increasing contract size until you got a lot more cash in there. And only trade that size as long as you're keeping that cash in there. If you're taking the money out, downsize again. Bring it back down. Nothing wrong with that. Pay yourself. Enjoy the money you're making. But just because you've made 15 grand and you've withdrawn 10 and you've got five in the account doesn't mean you should be trading twos, threes, fours, fives. You got five grand in that account. Trade what that account has, not what you've made or what you want to get to or where you've been. Trade small. Continue to keep that grind. It ties in with what we've discussed before about treating your account like a business. And another exercise that you could do that's a little different way to think about that is when you're looking through your trades or how you got somewhere, how you made that money, go back through your trades and think, would I hire this person? Right. And think, you know, it's hard to kill your own ego or whatever else like that. But think through about what questions you might be asked. So why why'd you make this trade? Why for this size? I noticed that you have a lot of trades. Why do you think that this is an advantageous strategy? Um, you gotta poke holes, especially if you're trading by yourself. You're the only one there unless unless you have a coach or a mentor or someone to reach out to, or maybe just other friends that trade. You can bounce it off your Discord or whatever, but uh, have someone poke holes in what you do sometime. One thing I would say too that I use for a lot of traders that I talk to, you mentioned the idea of taking a lot of trades. And this is usually how I help those people understand the risk that they're taking. Just because you're taking a lot of trades and you're, let's just say your risk is 50 bucks in a trade. Sounds all fine and dandy if you're taking, you know, five or six or 10 trades in a day, you're risking, you know, 250 to 500 bucks, right? But Mm -hmm. if you're taking 50, 60, 70 trades in a day and your average risk on every trade is $50, you're putting on an astronomical amount of risk in that day. Let's just say you take 100 trades in a day which I think a lot of newer traders out there are extremely active and trying to find what works. If you do take that 100 trades, well, if you're risking 50 bucks in a trade, that's $5,000 of risk. Now, just just to be clear, if you keep your, like there's a bell curve there where right. like, what you're saying is right though, you could lose a lot more than you think from that. Right, you, get, you start to get accustomed to high trade numbers, that taking 50 trades in a day isn't a big deal for you. When you start to do that, when you have those bad days, your losses become much larger. And all of a sudden you go, gosh, man, I didn't think I was getting that bad. I wasn't worried. I, I've i never get, come this close to hitting a daily loss limit or something like that. Well, because you've gotten so accustomed to taking 50 trades in a day, let's just say the first 25 are losers, but you're like, you know what? I've come back from that. I've had, you know, I usually take 50 trades in a day. I'm a 50-50 trader. I'm going to be able to recover this. You know, if you're taking 250 or 25 trades and you're losing 50 bucks a trade, that's a lot of money against that you don't want to be risking. Yeah. Although the good news is if you manage to lose 
25 trades in a row, you're strangely enough, maybe the best trader ever just in reverse, right? It takes extreme <laughs> skill. I couldn't pick 25 directional losers and futures if I, if I wanted to, if you gave me years. I think if you're trying, oh, you're if you're trying, making money. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna start hitting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was gonna say if you're trying, yeah, I could just hit and lift bids and lose a bunch of money in a row. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, that might be a fun like counter thing. Sometimes I, I've tried to think sometimes on this show if I should just come up with, like the worst trading thesis that I can and just like put a little bit on just to see if it's. You know, you know we, that could be a fun little uh, segment. Every podcast, we uh, take a look at one market and we say, "All right, we're going to buy or sell one, and let's see what happens throughout the rest of this." Uh, at the end of the episode, all right. So this this will be fun because I think we're starting to reach that point. So we'll close up thoughts on this: is think critically about your capital usage and how your trading style fits into a risk management model. Right. Because even if, you know, at, at top step, yeah, we don't because because of the program, we can't subjectively look and ask everyone why and stuff. But if you go onto your own brokerage account or if you're trading it now, uh, that's only going to help you. You got to look at like not just the results, but the probability and what the risk was that came out of those results. And I would I would definitely say also Jack made such a good point earlier. And I think we moved through it kind of quick, but. Ask yourself, would you financially back yourself if you had the capital? Would you financially say, I would hire this guy to trade my money? I think that's such a great question. Yeah. I mean, if so if someone gave you money, would you just would you use it for something else that has a you know better opportunity cost? Like if I gave you 10 grand, would you go buy a, I don't know, like a four-wheeler or a car or something like that? Or would you think it's a good investment to be into the trading? Well, Jack, if you gave me ten grand, I'd probably go buy a new uh, a new four wheeler. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like Jordy. Nice. Yeah, no, I do love those things. Well, speaking of which, you know, we just hinted at it. I think that's a good way uh, to start the conclusion here. What's the what's your like worst trading idea for this week? And remember, uh, I guess you could use the reverse and say the best would be the opposite. But what's the worst? Oh man, truthfully. I would say right now. All right. Hot take here. All right. Everyone knows my stance when it comes to the price of crude oil. Uh, I hate seeing it go higher, but we're going into the summer. We're going into Memorial Day weekend. I would say my hot take is selling crude oil. Would not do it right now. Uh, way too much pressing against it, even though it is down a little bit right now. Okay. My worst idea is that I'm going to buy a bunch of Coinbase stock and then sell leap covered call options at the current strike price. All right. So that that is my that that is my worst uh, idea. All right, I like it. We'll 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 recap these next week. Um, before we get going, though, I just do want to say one thing. It is Memorial Day weekend around the corner. Um, I know everyone's looking forward to a little bit longer weekend and celebrating and bonfires and barbecues, but you know, just if you could take a few minutes to remember the meaning of Memorial Day um, here in the United States, it is a big deal. You know, a lot of our people sacrificed a lot for that day, 
And uh, so it'll be something on my mind. And uh, if you're having a beer, have one for those that sacrifice the most. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, look around for things you can do that obviously Memorial Day is about people who sacrifice their lives, really. But, you know, think about what you can do to um, help out any vets in your community. And if you're not in the United States, I assume that would apply as well. So have a nice weekend, everyone. Dan, thanks again for stopping by. Always enjoy it. All right. You know what time it is, y'all. Namaste. Trade well. See you later. Bye. Limit Up is presented by Top Step and produced by Dante32. Futures and Forex trading contain substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.